Welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. We're continuing our discussion with Ted Adams and this time we're going to look at how you get the right mix in your team, how you choose people who have the same sort of vision and commitment as you do. The other thing is when you're talking about understanding and being thankful for what you're being given and if you're in a give mentality rather than take, What's your advice about how often should one reflect on all those good things? Like, because sometimes we just, we, we know this is our purpose, we're in a good place and we keep going. We don't stop and take stock about myself as well as my organisation in relation to how thankful I am. Yeah. So one of the questions you asked on the questions you sent over were the difference between gratitude and thankfulness. And yeah. I didn't know the difference, right? Like, um, but I looked it up. I just Googled it. What's the difference between gratitude and thankfulness? And gratitude feel like it felt like it came so much more from a place of just appreciation, like that mindfulness, that thankfulness of like what you see, what you focus on, right? Where thankfulness was actually more like the act of giving thanks for like things or gestures or like actually vocalizing it. And where I'm going with that is you're asking how often can someone, should they be thankful? And I'll just tell you, I believe that you create from a place of peace. Mm -hmm. And if you're creating from a place of anything other than peace, then you're creating something that's probably not permanent, right? And you, you also create from a place of revelation. There's a difference in my mind between vision and revelation, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that to say gratitude, that state of being of gratitude. If you, the practice that I've got in is if I'm feeling anxious about anything, that's my cue. I need to go. I need to go get on being thankful, being grateful, because I can't give from a place that I don't that I'm not yeah. seeing. Yeah. Like I asked before if I could share scripture. And yes, I you said, okay, you could just be you. You be you. And so here yeah. I am, right? So mm -hmm. there's a place where it says in the Bible that you overcome by the blood of the lamb and something called the power of the testimony. And testimony is just your story, right? It's your lifeline. I, I did this exercise. I was in a CEO mastermind called Vistage and they had us do this exercise called the lifeline. And it talks mm -hmm. about the life's highs and then the lows and you know all the different places mm -hmm. on your lifeline that you're, you go through. Well, what I learned is from a great mentor of mine, uh, he always would say your greatest area of pain is also your greatest area of rain. Call it your kingship, your authority comes many times as you tax on your life, right? Mm -hmm. those, yeah. those low points in your life. And so that heart of testimony of because testimony most people think is your story in the past but it's not yeah. it's not just your story in your past it's your story in your past think about it like i heard bill johnson talk about the fact like when you swing a golf club like your backstroke mm -hmm. actually guides your trajectory yeah no. so the more you're grateful and thankful and have gratitude of your past testimony i believe the more revelation that you're shown the more dreams you have the more visions you have and that's the key because my distinction between vision and revelation is that I built a lot of businesses from vision. That's like me, right? And scripture says that it says deferred hope makes the heart grow, grow sour, makes it grow like really sad, right? Mm. But fulfilled hope is like amazing. And so I believe that revelation, when the Lord shows you something or when you have dreams or visions or, you know, you know that you know that this is where you're going, you actually have heaven's backing behind you. Mm -hmm. And so giving thanks for those places that you're going as if you're already there mm -hmm. is what faith is. And the only three things that remain are faith, hope, and love, right? 
And leadership is all about whoever has could deal the most hope wins, but not just hope, hope that actually becomes faith, right? It says faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not yet seen. So you hope in revelation and the things you've been shown and seen. So you hope it and then you faith it and then you hope it again and then you faith it, right? And the more that you land in faith and it actually works the way you hoped for, the happier your heart is and the more you can hope. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so the more you're thankful, the more you can congruently hope. And yeah. then the more you can congruently hope, the more you can congruently step on those those steps of faith. That becomes a habit almost for you. That becomes your path because you're comfortable in that process of mm. moving forward. It's interesting with the, the golf analogy. I uh, have been told that as well. But I've been told the extension of that is that the follow through, where you end up with the follow through is where you're going. So you're, mm. I always had to, to focus on the follow through as well. Mm, I like that. That's, good. that's a complete picture. <laughs> yeah, then. it yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Let me go back to the question. In terms of those topics, I think we've probably covered the, the things that we sent to you. I'm interested in your process personally. You, know, you go mm-hmm. into an organisation and you find that that they're in, in chaos, for want of a better word, that they're not congruent with, with what they are saying that they're doing. How do you personally manage that? I know that the faith is very strong in you, and so you've got that to, to as, as your backbone almost. But, but in terms of your emotional reactions, your emotional draining, in those situations, because you're going into these places day in, day out and facing the unknown. Mm-hmm. What do you do to manage you, I guess, is the mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. That's good. The interesting thing for me is that we're in a place where we get to choose the work that we do, mm-hmm. which is I'm super thankful for. And in that choice, we usually choose the companies that come from that position of generosity and gratefulness, right? They have that different spirit about them. That being said, Managing my state is all about just remembering almost exactly like what we talked about, just remembering who I am and just coming from that place of constant thankfulness of my past. There's this tension, right? It's like the gap. There's the present, but then there's the past that you you can't necessarily determine what happens to you in your past or your story, but you definitely can determine how you view those things yes. that happen yeah. to you, right? Yeah. If you choose a perspective that will propel you in the future and just focus on your past and the tension of your promised future, there's this gap that you get to just stretch, you know, and almost like a rubber band, it like propels you to that destination, right? And so I would say that the same process that we're talking about, about just gratefulness, both of your past and your your future is probably the same past that, that I manage my state. You know, like I'll tell you, like there's this thing that used to happen to me in a room. It's probably the approval of man when I would speak. Right. And and if there wasn't a big audience that showed up, there's just something in the that is like super nervous and super whatever. So I think about those times, you know, of like where I'm completely anxious and not not loving what's about to happen. And I just go to that place of just prayer and thankfulness and and remembering the promises and and professing those and speaking those out. And I I believe that when you can manage your internal government, the government around you is attracted to that. In that sense, then, if you're looking for staff, if you found yourself in a place where you're comfortable and ready to share your leadership and you're looking for a team, we do have a lot of listeners who 
work with project teams. So they get to choose individuals from an organisation to work with them on specific projects. How do you go about choosing that team? Is it obviously you know that they've got the skills that you need for a particular task, but how do you find the soft skills that you're looking for? Mm, that's a great, great question. So I feel like what happens a lot of times is people don't, they don't feel, we call it fill the deck, right? So when you're recruiting, you don't just bring on like two or three fish, like you like fill the deck, right? And then you're not choosing between skills, skills being, you know, gift skills and abilities, like actual talent to do the job, but also emotional intelligence over here, right? Yeah. Yeah. And values and purpose. Because a lot of people will choose skills like emotional intelligence, yes. skills to do the job and all of that over values and purpose. And you don't have to. You can have all of it. You can have skills and values and purpose, right? And um, soft skills, right? It, and it's understanding how to discern who those people are. And, and I feel like another big process that we've learned that we've done really well with is trials. So you literally trial people for two weeks or a month, you know, like I think about this church leader um, who you actually used to have the people that would come on staff with them live with them, like actually do life with yeah, them for a couple yeah. months before they brought them on board, you know? And I feel like when you do that and you do deep relationship with people, you get to see them and all of their glory. And from that, make your choice. I'll tell one more. We, we were on this subject of sowing into need or giving into like, it's like, you know, you think about the beggar, right? Everyone wants to give to a beggar on the street because mm -hmm. um, they feel bad for them. They, they sow yeah. into need. And instead of sowing into need, employees, you don't want to hire a beggar. Like yeah. you want to hire someone that's already close to exceeding your potential, right? Or it actually has surpassed you in many areas, right? And so you want to you hire kings or queens that are next to you to really win a battle. And so you're not sowing into need. You're not hiring the broken emotionally, the broken, mm. right? Like you're hiring high talent, high skill, high emotional intelligence and purpose aligned and value aligned. And that's your Mecca. Here in that situation, you, we, we've got a manager who has, got, has identified someone in their team who is beyond the, the team's purpose expectations at this point in time. Can you say to them, this is not the place for you. You need to find somewhere that is better for you. I like boot them out and say, sorry, but we're not good enough for you is basically what you're saying to them. It's, you asked me this question about how do you remove yourself? How do you change the situation? It's almost the same question, right? Because like yeah. I'm slow to fire, but I'm even slower to hire. Okay. So that's the key, right? Hiring wrong puts you in that situation. So now take responsibility for how you hired and develop that person and do every possible thing that you can and let your team see. There, there should never be a situation where you've let someone go and, and they're surprised by that. They need to know clearly the areas that, you, that they need to be developed in and they need to own that, but you need to support them with everything that you have because you made the decision to bring them on. So fire slow, but hire slower. And that, and that will help at least. Yeah. It's not going to solve it, but it will help. What you just said is important because your leadership is dictating that get the right hire, be patient, and then once they in, take their responsibility. But what I also heard is that you're creating that feeling and responsibility within the whole team. So we get a new person on board, we help them succeed as well. I'll piggyback that and say when we do trials, there's not a person on the team that doesn't participate in hiring that person. 
okay. and doesn't have an opinion because when we let them go, they are going to ultimately also be responsible for the failure. And so in other words, they're also responsible for developing the gaps that are in the team, right? not just you, right? Yes. So if they don't see the gaps on the front side, bummer, you're going to have yeah. to develop it. It's very much more about community and about family and about knowing everybody that's there, knowing their strengths and knowing where you need to help them and being that composite unit rather than the, the group of individuals. It's a, an interesting and I think appropriate approach as we move away from what we've had in the last few years. Yeah. Well, I think, Ted, we have covered all of the topics that we wanted to do with you. We, we do thank you for your time and your insights and your sharing of your, your knowledge and expertise. We'll put the link to your website on the guest page on our website. But for now, I think we've covered our topics. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne. We've been talking with Ted Adams, and this is Inside Executive.